Hey guys, this is the New Heights Church Podcast, and we just want to welcome you and thank you for joining us today. We hope this message inspires and encourages you. Here at New Heights, we exist to love people and point them to Christ. Enjoy today's service. Amen. Stand to your feet if you would, please. Father, I'm asking that your people would hear your word today, would hear your voice and not mine. We're asking, Lord God, that your word would shape us, change us, and mold us like only you can do. In Jesus' name, and all God's people said, amen. Amen. Please be seated. Open your Bible to Hebrews chapter number 11. Hebrews chapter number 11. We are on a topic right now, and if you're you're new to our church, uh, I tend to be a very topical type teacher. I want to make sure that we, we get an understanding and a revelation so that we can, we can utilize that revelation to move forward. And one of the things that we're talking about right now is the concept of some things in life there are no substitute for. I'll give you an example of some things that do have substitutes. Maybe you remember when you were in school or you're in school now, you may have a teacher, but sometimes your teacher's not there and you have a substitute teacher. If you're really honest, you will remember you probably did not behave the same way for the substitute, come on somebody, as you did for the teacher. Another area of of substitution you have a lot of times is sugar. Nowadays, they have Splenda, they have Sweet and Low, they have Equal, they have all different kind of sugar, and don't even get me started with all of you keto people who've discovered all kind of fruit that tastes sweet but doesn't have carbs or something like that. The bottom line is every sugar substitute ought to be called tastes kind of like sugar but has an aftertaste. Come on, somebody. In some areas of your life, you can substitute a thing. In other areas of your life, there are no substitutes. I'll give you an example in my life. In my life... There is no substitute for my wife, Crystal. Absolutely nobody rates, ranks, or comes close in my life right here on planet Earth to where she ranks in my life. What that means is I might have talked to you all day long, but I still want to talk to her. I might have spent time with a thousand other people throughout the day, but they do not meet the same level of importance in my life as she does because in my life there is no substitute. Now, in Jesus Christ, as a Christian, there is no substitute for faith. You can't be so saved that you no longer have to live by faith. Whether you've been born again for five days 500 years or five minutes, you're going to have to live by faith. And faith is not some arbitrary ideology. Faith has a definition, and we find it in the book of Hebrews. The Bible says, now faith is. Somebody say now. Now. When you begin to understand that faith actually has a timetable, Hebrews 11 and 1. When you begin to understand that faith actually has a timetable, and the timetable is now then you can begin to derive that the faith that you walked in that got you through that thing five years ago was good for five years ago, but you're still going to have to live by faith today. In other words, the fact that you went through something does not mean now there is a substitution available in your life other than faith, because in this same chapter, the Bible says, without faith, it is impossible to please God. Hebrews 11 and 1, now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. That word substance in the original language actually sounds more like something you stand under. So if we wanted to read it like that, it would say, faith is what you stand under. Faith is believing God, but it's also something you stand under. In other words, if you and me were in a rainstorm, but I had an umbrella and you did not, we would be in the same environment, but having very different experiences. Because, not because it wasn't raining where I was, but because I was standing under something that you were not. This is what faith does for a believer. This is what faith does in every area. And the reality of faith is this. Faith in a believer's life has no substitute, but it, ought, it, it should be coupled with wisdom. Somebody say wisdom. 
Wisdom is for the stuff you can see. Faith is for the stuff you cannot see. Now faith is the substance things hope for, the evidence of what we cannot see. Later on in this same chapter, the Bible says very clearly that we understand how things were created by faith. In other words, there's an element of the unknown that is required for you to serve God. The longer you live for God, the more of the unknown God's going to allow to come into your life. When you're a baby Christian, he's going to give you little step, little step, little step, almost almost like uh, uh, dropping breadcrumbs in front of your life. But the more that you know him, the more that you find out about him, the more that you find out about his word, there's going to be some stuff that he expects you to go through without him necessarily dropping little breadcrumbs every two inches. Well, I'll give, you, I'll give you a good example. When your kid is two years old and you get out of your car and go into a restaurant, you grab him by the hand. You say, okay, baby, listen, we're going to go from here all the way over to that restaurant that's, a, that's across the parking lot. And I, I want you to look both ways whenever we cross this area and watch for cars and hold daddy's hand. Now, let's go. And then every two or three feet, you're having to say, hey, don't pick up that piece of gum. Come on, somebody. Don't pick up that cigarette butt. Come on, somebody. Pay attention. There's cars coming by. Then you get to the sidewalk and you walk up say, okay, we're going to walk up to this door, but don't just go running up to that door because somebody might open that door and hit you with it. And then you finally get into the restaurant, you get to a chair, and you're not even sitting in a normal chair. You're sitting in a chair that's got a seat built just to make sure they stay where you put them. Now, if you still have to do that with your 24-year-old kid, there's some maturity that never came into the equation. So the same scenario You have to take the two-year-old by the hand, lead them everywhere they're going to go. But that 24-year-old has had 24 years to mature. You send them a text message and say, meet me at Chili's. No other data. That's why God drops a word in your spirit and expects a believer to do what a believer is by definition. Believe God at his word. If he said your children are going to serve God and one of them's acting like a rascal right now, you don't live by what you see. You live by faith. Faith has the element of the unknown, but faith chooses to believe God in spite of what we see. Now, the challenge is coupling wisdom to that because in the body of Christ, it's real easy to put put wisdom where faith goes and faith where wisdom goes. So, for instance, if you have a nail in your tire and you can hear the air blowing out of it, come on, somebody, do not hit your knees and say, oh, King Jesus, please help this tire hold for the next five years. You just put faith on something you can see when faith is designed for what you cannot see. Wisdom is designed for what you can see. So faith has a timetable. Now, faith is. And it is what we stand under. And if, you, if, you've, uh, uh, if you've been with us for the last few weeks, you can go back and check many different things. But I want to pick up right now on verse number 13. Hebrews chapter number 11, verse number 13. We're going to hit a few points today, and then we're going to get out of here. The scripture says, and when it says these people died, it's talking about some heroes of our faith, Enoch, Abram, Sarah, many different ones. But the scripture says all these people died and they did not receive all the promises, but they saw them afar off and were persuaded of them and embraced them and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. Everybody say persuaded. If you're going to live by faith, you're going to have to be persuaded that God's word is accurate. You're going to have to be persuaded above all else that what God said is going to happen in my life. You're going to have to be persuaded. There's going to have to be a convincing. The Bible says that Abram and Sarah, they had a son when they were long past the time that they were, that they were capable in the natural of having a son. But they were completely persuaded that God was going to do exactly what he said he would do. Secondly, they embraced the word of God. Now, here's the deal. I'll give you the... the One of the reasons believers stay stagnant. One of the reasons believers stay stagnant 
is because they are persuaded that God is right, but they never embrace his kingdom. They are persuaded that God is right, but they never embrace his culture. Every nation on the planet has a culture. Inside of every nation, there are pockets of cultures. But one of the craziest things about a culture is you don't have to go to the nation to experience the culture. I'll tell you about a nation. It's a completely different country just east of here. It's called Louisiana. You may have experienced it. When you go, when you drive, I've driven through Louisiana a lot. When you're driving through Louisiana, you can just smell the spices and the Creole seasoning in the whole town. And if you're not careful, crawfish will jump in your car. That's what Louisiana is like. But here's the deal about Louisiana. If you are raised in Louisiana, if you grew up in Louisiana, if you decided that Tony Sachery's ought to be a food group by itself, come on somebody, you are from Louisiana, you know about Louisiana, you probably grew up eating, they might have put Tony, Tony Sachery's in your bottle for all I know. All I know is in Louisiana, they eat their food very, very spicy. Now, if that person moves to Texas and you go eat at their house, you will think you are dining in New Orleans. You will think you are in Baton Rouge. But in reality, you are still in Texas. It's just the people that are in Texas with you are not of Texas. In other words, you can experience a culture because the culture goes where the people of that nation or that kingdom go. That's why whenever God, uh, whenever Jesus was asked, hey, can you teach us how to pray? One of the primary parts of the prayer that he taught him to pray was pray that his kingdom would come here like it is in heaven. In other words, God doesn't need any help in heaven. What he does need is for you to represent the kingdom right here and right now. And in this kingdom, there is a requirement if you're going to be a part of this kingdom and an effective part of this kingdom, and that is this. Becoming a Christian is not just a decision. It's a conversion. And in the body of Christ, one of the most... One of the most uh, uh, One of the most challenging things is when you decide you are persuaded to be a Christian, but you do not embrace the culture. So what you're doing is you're following Jesus, but you're dragging your nets around. You're following Jesus, but you're also dragging your old life. And you say things like this. Yeah, I know, you know, church is this and God is this and Jesus is that, but I still like to do A, B, C, D. In other words, you have not laid aside every weight. Come on, somebody. You have not set aside the sin that so easily besets you. And then, I mean this respectfully. There I go again, Jake. I mean this respectfully. But you'll blame church and everybody around you when the reality is, is you never let go of your old life. Because if you're going to be in this kingdom, a part of our culture is dropping what we have drug around. In other words, you don't get to go to the king and start setting the rules. We live in America. This is a republic. It's supposed to be a democracy. Come on, somebody. It's supposed to be a democracy. And we vote people in that are supposed to set up these laws that are supposed to be for the benefit of the people, by the people, for the people. All these things are supposed to happen. And that's the way it is supposed to go. But that is a democracy in a kingdom, the king's domain, the king's word is law. That means when you get into this kingdom, you have to rethink and rewire how you think. You can't go running around and being persuaded that you're right and embracing all of your ideology. You've got to be persuaded. You've got to be persuaded that God is correct and I am embracing his ideology. I am laying aside every weight. See, a net does something real interesting. A net catches things indiscriminately. You just wake up one. You know, a ship never set sail and said, I hope I pick up some barnacles on the bottom of this thing. 
it just picks them up in the process of the journeys that it's on. There are things that are going to try to attach themselves to you. And if you are dragging around your old life because of a refusal to convert or to embrace the word of God, and I'll give you a couple of examples. If you embrace the word of God, you can't be a racist. The Bible says, if you say you love God and hate your neighbor, you're a liar. The Bible also says all liars will have their place in the lake of fire. Well, to hear a little bit more of that from the pulpit on Sunday mornings, I think. I think racism would, would vanish if we'd start getting a revelation of what love actually looks like. But you can't be a racist and a Christian. Racists go to hell. Christians go to heaven. But you can't say just because so-and-so hurt me or so-and-so happened to this or, or my grandfather and my grandmother or my great-grandmother. Listen, nobody's picking on them. All we're saying is just because that was your experience, that doesn't make it right. If you're going to be a Christian, you have to embrace and a part of embracing is converting. That means you don't do what you used to do. Well, I'm just going to beat on it for a minute, Jake. If your mother griped at your dad all day, that's not right. And you can't just haphazardly do that because that's what you were around and act like it's just okay. If your dad was a jerk to your mom or the kids... And you decide to do that, that doesn't make it okay. Nobody's happy that it happened to you. But that doesn't make it okay. You can't perpetuate that and act like that's kingdom. That's not kingdom, that's you. That means you haven't let go of something you're dragging around. That means you might be persuaded that the things of God are correct, but you're not embracing the things of God fully because the things of God say it like this. They say, look, Whatever you give up for this kingdom, God's going to give it back to you a hundredfold in this life. But it does require a letting go. You can't grab one thing without letting another thing go. When you decide to be a Christian and you understand that there's no substitute for faith, faith involves being completely persuaded that God is correct and it involves embracing this new kingdom. In other words, I lay aside all these other weights down And I hold fast, what are we holding? Our confession or our profession of faith. The Bible says many of these heroes of faith didn't even see the promises come to pass. They just saw them far off. And the Bible says they were persuaded, they embraced it, and then the Bible says they confessed. That's the next step in living by faith. This is the one that everybody's going to probably look funny at you whenever you begin to do it. Now, all of a sudden, instead of using Jesus' name like he's a cuss word when you hit your finger with a hammer. Boy, it's quiet in this library, Jake. Over here we have the card catalog. Come on, somebody. All the National Geographics are over here. When you start using your mouth as a weapon instead of a reaction, the Bible says... and. We say it like this to our children. You will have what you say, so say what you want. The Bible says God called things into existence. Genesis chapter number one. God said, let there be light. Light didn't argue. He called it into existence. Then he said this. He said, let us make man in our likeness and our image. And the Bible says he designed mankind. Genesis chapter number two, he formed man out of the dust of the earth. Then he breathed the breath of life, the Ruach God, onto the inside of the nostrils of humanity. And all of a sudden, mankind became a living soul. And the Bible says, not only have I made you in my likeness and my image, not only have I filled you with my spirit, you have dominion here on planet earth. And what's very interesting is God never called another thing into existence. The reason he didn't call anything else into existence is because after Genesis chapter number one, he started calling people 
into positions and expecting them to call things that are not, come on somebody, as if they were. When you stop using your mouth as a reaction and start using your mouth as a proactive weapon, now all of a sudden you start prophesying the future that you actually want to see and the environment begins to respond because when you talk and and sound like Jesus and quote his word, the world can't tell the difference between what you're saying and what God said if it lines up with his Bible. First off, we have to be persuaded. You have to be convinced. There was a guy in the Bible that Paul was witnessing to, and the scripture says, almost thou persuaded me to be a Christian. You can't be almost persuaded. You have to be convinced down in your knower. Secondly, you have to embrace. Now, some of you, depending upon your Christian background, that's easier than others. Some of you, it's more challenging than others. It depends on what you've been through. Most of the time, though, if you'll go completely into the things of God, God will begin to help you and begin to expose things that you can lay aside that might, be a, that might have been holding your family back for decades. More than what anybody else says about you, what matters is what God says about you and what you believe about you. Because if you believe what somebody said about you, the Bible says, as a man believes in his heart, so is he. So you're a sum of what you think on, the Bible says. So if you're convinced that you're nothing, never going to be nothing, that's the kind of life that's going to perpetuate in your life. But if you decide to be persuaded that God is correct, if you decide to embrace what God said about you, and and I I should just point this out, everybody's not going to agree with you all the time. When you start embracing what God said about you, see... God told Joseph, you're special. God's father told Joseph, or excuse me, Joseph's father told him he was special. Gave him a coat, effectively an outward sign of favor. Was convinced that he was special. He didn't walk around trying to ridicule his brothers, but he didn't hide the fact that God favored him. And before you know it, he's thrown into a pit. They told his daddy that he was dead. Then they sold him as a slave, only to be accused of trying to... uh, 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 sexually abused somebody, was thrown in prison only to be forgotten about in prison until one day, all of a sudden, the gifts and talents that were on the inside of him took him before great kings or great people. And before you know it, this guy, he never stopped believing God that his hand, that God's hand was on his life. But so many people around him just thought he was a normal person. Oh, I know everybody's going to think you're normal because a lot of people changed your diaper. That's why whenever Moses asked God, who do I tell the people that you are? He said, I am that I am. He didn't say I was that I was. Because you in his likeness and image are supposed to be the present tense version of yourself, not the past tense version of yourself. Because you can't do anything about what you used to be. But you can certainly be what God called you to be. You can certainly believe what God's called you to be. You can certainly follow after him in the here and now. So in the process of living by faith, to which there is absolutely no substitute. Now, I should say this too. There will be presentations of substitutes. You can have a $20 bill that looks like a $20 bill. You can have a $20 bill that smells like a $20 bill. You can fold it up. It'll fit in your wallet just like a $20 bill. But if that thing's counterfeit, under closer examination, it will not have the value that the real thing has. When it comes to living by faith, there's going to be all kind of potential counterfeits come across your life. There's going to be a ditch that, that, that somebody's going to present. And they're going to be very passionate about this one segment of the gospel. And they'll expect everybody to die in that same ditch. And then they'll ridicule everybody that doesn't. When in reality, that's a count, a lot of times, that's a counterfeit version of the faith that we're supposed to stand under. See, we're not living by what we see. We are fully persuaded that God is correct. The next step is we get completely, we completely embrace this new culture. You can't drag the world's culture into the kingdom. They're counterintuitive. 
You've got to decide that God's culture is correct. And if you have a religious ideology about what his culture is like, most of the time that needs to be washed out by the washing of the water of the word. But if you have the world's influence, let me tell you what the world looks like. The world makes the church look weak. Think about every movie you've ever seen, especially like a, I don't know if you've ever seen, we don't watch horror movies, but like a horror movie. They make the devil out to be this humongous monster that's just untamable. And then they'll show the, the, the people of God in a tiny old church where nobody's got any power and pretty much all the guys are feminine and everything just acts a certain way. Because the world is completely contrary to the culture of the kingdom of God. So there is a requirement to embrace this culture that we get in because while you are still in the world, when you are born again, you are no longer of the world. So the only thing that you, the only thing that separates us as believers in the culture of the kingdom is a letting go of the old life and a complete embracing of the new life. The next one, and this is the one, like I mentioned, this starts to set you apart. Now you start to look a little peculiar because you got three flat tires and instead of crying and cussing about it, you're thanking God for the one that's got air. That's very different than the world. It's very different in the world to be declaring coronavirus dead while the news still reports it's ransacking life. That's very different. And trust me, you will get plenty of ridicule for it. We get plenty of ridicule at the church. Matter of fact, if you ever get a message from me on social media or you get a message from the church on social media and it doesn't sound like me or the church, come on somebody. Call the church and make sure it's, it, it's not. But most of the time, I only have uh, one Instagram account and one Facebook account. And then the church has one Instagram account and one Facebook account. And you can find those very simply. But I'll give you an example of what happens when you start to stand out. We spend a lot of time, effort, energy, and resources to get the gospel all over the world. I don't know if you know this, but we're on direct TV minimum two times a week on God TV global. The Bible, the Bible says that we ought to go into all the world. So we're doing our very best to go into all the world and preach the gospel on every avenue that we can. But we got a message one time and it says, you shouldn't be doing that because a lot of times we'll, we'll pay to have a message put in a certain environment, especially if we think unbelievers might be there. We'll pay to get a message in a certain environment. And, and one time we got a message sent. It was from a minister supposedly. Well, I'll, I'll say this. It was from a minister. I don't know. But it was from a minister from somewhere else in the country. And they sent this message over and it said something like this. It said, you shouldn't be spending money to do that. It said, if God wanted the message preached, he'd do it. Now, 99.99% of the time, we don't respond to anything like that because they come in pretty regular. But I don't know, maybe I'd been in traffic that day and I just decided to send them a message back. But I took a minute. I said, man, thank you so much. You have set us free. I said, matter of fact, we're going to stop paying the light bill too because if God wanted the lights on in the church, he'd just do it. Oh, by the way, we're also going to stop feeding widows and orphans every month because if God wanted those widows to eat, don't you think he'd just do it? And I said, it reminds me of that scripture that Jesus said in his holy Bible where he said, do not go anywhere. Do not go into all the world and do not preach the gospel. Thank you so much for setting us free. You have revolutionized our church budget. Then I tried to soften it up. I said, you know, you could spend the rest of your life trying to reach people that don't know Jesus instead of criticizing people who do love him and are trying to make an impact. But what happens is when you begin to confess the word of God, you're going to stand out not like a sore thumb, but like a healed thumb in a sore world. You're going to stand out because now all of a sudden when everybody's at the water cooler saying, well, they're going to lay everybody off and it's going to be terrible. Oh, my goodness. What do you think, Billy? Well, I think I'm blessed coming in, blessed going out, blessed in the city and blessed in the field. My God supplies my needs according to his riches and glory. Thank you very much. 
Everybody's just going to look at you. Because it's very peculiar. But this is a part of the conversion. You don't talk like the world. You're in the world, but you don't talk like the world. And you got to get rid of the cynical thoughts that say, well, what happens if it doesn't work? Because the minute you act like that, the minute you allow that thought to, to uh, continue to perpetuate in your mind, you have destroyed faith. Because faith is believing in something you don't see. So the fact that you don't see it means faith has an option. If you can see it, that's where wisdom goes. So you've got to get to the place where you say, look, I'm believing it. Well, what happens if you don't see it? The Bible says many people died believing, but they saw it afar off. They just didn't receive it yet. That doesn't mean that they didn't receive it. It means they didn't receive it on this side of eternity. You can't threaten a Christian with death. That's like, that's like threatening somebody with, with an everlasting habitation in the presence with Jesus Christ. How is that a threat? It's an embracing. It's a confessing that changes how you talk. It changes your family. It's no longer okay to just be a smart aleck all day long in your house and then wonder why your kids are a smart aleck to you. You're reaping what you're sowing because the world is still interwoven in the culture of your household instead of a complete embrace of the new kingdom culture and a confessing of that kingdom culture in spite of whatever else you see in your life. A complete embrace. Let me tell you something. In 2020, the days of the lukewarm Christian are over. In, 20, in 2020, the days of normal Christianity, and I'll put it in air quotes because it's only normal over here in America and parts of the Western world. If you, if you go out in some of the places that I've been, I'm telling you that limp-wristed soft Christianity will get you killed quick. Many martyrs will die anyway, but I'm talking about people that go early, people that are exposed to things, but they're not ready for war. The Bible says you are actually made for war. You get in this kingdom, you lay aside every weight that's held you back, you embrace the things of God, the hand of God, the word of God, and then you begin to confess those things, and you better know, when that happens, now the devil is not omnipresent. He doesn't know everything, and he is not everywhere. And as soon as you open your mouth, now all of a sudden things change. Think about Jesus. Jesus is going, and there's a guy who knows him very well. His name is John. We call him John the Baptist. He's Jesus' cousin. They would have grown up in a very close proximity to one another, at least a portion of their life. So Jesus comes walking down by the river, and John sees him because he's baptizing people because John the Baptist kind of does that. You know what I'm saying? And he looks over, and he sees Jesus, and he says, Behold, the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. And Jesus said, Hey, Johnny boy, how you doing? He said, I'm doing pretty good. He said, I need you to baptize me. He said, Whoa, cousin Jesus. I can't be baptizing you. I need you to baptize me. And Jesus said, John, I need you to baptize me, my brother. He says, okay, I'll baptize you, but only because you said so. And he puts him under the water. And when he pulls him out of the water, all of a sudden, the Bible says that the Holy Spirit in the form of a dove came flying down, rested on Jesus. And there was a sound from heaven. The Bible says the Father spoke and says, this one right here, the one John just baptized. Don't be looking anywhere else. This is my beloved son and whom I am well pleased. And all of a sudden, the whole world was on notice. The devil didn't know who Jesus was or the devil wouldn't have, had to, wouldn't have tried to kill and abort all the babies born at that time. He was trying to get them all. Same thing he did with Moses because he knew that there was a deliverer coming up that was going to take the Israelites out of Egypt. So he started trying to kill all the, all the young baby boys. So he tried to do the exact same thing when Jesus was born. And he's looking for him, looking for him, looking for him, looking for him. He's trying to pay people to tell him who Jesus is. And then one day, God, God the Father looks down and says, that's the one right there. And Jesus comes out of the water and he's standing there. He's got the long hair and the beard and he's all wet. And he shakes his head off, got the bird sitting there in the form, got the Holy Spirit in the form of a dove rests on him and everybody's going whoa that's him that's the Messiah that's Jesus that's the one that's going to set us free and you would have thought he'd have said now where's my throne but the Bible says the spirit led him into the wilderness for 40 days he fasted and the devil showed up where he was and began to tempt him. 
he threw off every temptation, not with lightning bolts out of his eyeballs, which I'm sure he could do. Not by sending pulses of energy at him like some superhero. He defeated him with the power of the word of God. Simply quoting the scripture after saying it is written. My point is this. When you fully embrace and confession starts in your life, don't be shocked when God sends you to war. There was a man in the Bible named Job. The devil comes before God and he says, God says, what are you doing? He says, I'm going around seeking what I can destroy. And he said to him, he says, have you considered my servant Job? A lot of people struggle with this scripture. I do not. A lot of people say, well, why would God sick the devil on Job? When the reality is this, God was sicking Job on the devil. God sent Jesus into the wilderness to thump the devil right before his ministry took full swing on planet earth. God sent Jesus into the wilderness to make sure that the devil knew you're messing with the last Adam, not the first Adam. There is a shift when you begin to confess a thing because now all of a sudden everything around you is on notice. You ever been around those people and you're like, I wonder if they're a Christian. I'd like to talk to them about Jesus. I wonder if they're a Christian. I'd love to share my testimony. And then they say something and you know beyond a shadow of a doubt that they're believers. I was looking at doing a, a, a deal yesterday my wife and I tend to buy and sell some stuff. I was looking at doing a deal yesterday and was meeting with a man and his wife. And I called him and said, I'll be there about 1 o'clock, 1.30, if that's okay with you. He said, no problem. He said, just call me when, when you know for sure. He said, because I'm out. I'm actually buying a house. I said, well, praise the Lord. You're buying a house. Congratulations. He goes, oh, no problem. Thanks. He said, it's actually not for me, though. There's this lady that's without a home, and we're getting her a house. And I told Crystal, I said, that's a Christian right there. We got there, and I said, I said, we had our little dealings. I said, hey, before we leave, can we pray? We'd love to pray. So tell me about this lady. He tells us. I said, man, this is incredible. Reached down in my pocket, grabbed some $100 bills. I said, here you go. He said, no, 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 I can't take that. I said, well, I'm going to leave it here either way. Come on, somebody. I said, I love Christians. He says, oh, my life's been so different since I gave my life to Christ. He's about 60, 65 years old. He says this to me. He said, it was eight years ago. Oh, I love the Lord. He said, it was eight years ago. My whole life, I've just been a kind of guy that could take care of myself. Been good in business. Been very successful by the world's standards. He said, but something happened eight years ago, and I knew something was really, really missing. He said, and for me, I just told the Lord, I really need you. And I said, if you'll help me, I'll do anything you ask me to do. He said, all of a sudden, I could sleep again. I gave my life to him completely. All of a sudden, all my business dealings started to, started to pick up again. And God started leading me to do all these things. And I don't know how in the world we met this lady that didn't have a house. But it come to find out that I have a real estate background. And she had a house that she lost 15 years ago. But she didn't even know there was a $27,000. Uh, uh, there was a $27,000 surplus whenever they auctioned off her house for back taxes. This woman had $27,000 sitting in an account but didn't, did, but didn't know it. God sent this man who simply said, I'll do anything you ask me to do. To go and set her up, get her a home, for her whole life to change. But see, what happened was he said, you know, I had kind of pursued God, but it was when I said those words. The Bible says the power, somebody say power. The power of life and death is in your mouth. You got to be persuaded in this kingdom that God's word is correct. And then I 
I know I tend to repeat myself, but I repeat myself because I think it's that important. You have to embrace this new kingdom. You have to embrace the new life. With a come hell or high water mentality. Though he slay me, I'll serve him. I'm not going back. What would we go back to? Where where would we go? What if you die? Then I'll be in heaven. Well, what if this happens? God is still on the throne. Well, how do you explain that? I'm not going to be tasked with explaining everything because the Bible says faith has an element of the unknown. I can't explain everything I can't see. But I can stand on His Word, fully embracing it, and then not just embracing it, but beginning to confess it because as you confess it, now you see it come to pass. A total shift. Hebrews 11, verse number 14. For they that say such things declare plainly that they're seeking, King James says a country, a habitation. You and me are pursuing the habitation that is in our God. And here it is. And truly, if they had been mindful of that country, From whence they came out, they might have had opportunity to have returned. There's no substitute for faith. But if you keep thinking about what you left behind sooner or later, you're going to magnetize back to it. They, if they had been mindful, if their mind had been full of the life they left, I mean this respectfully. I don't like it when people spend 20 minutes telling me how much of a sinner they used to be and 20 seconds telling me how God set them free. I'm all for the testimony. It's a big part of how we overcome. But you didn't give up anything for God that was anywhere close to what God gave up for you. So when we talk about, yeah, I used to have this great life and then I laid it down for the Lord. It wasn't a great life. It was a life that was going to send you to hell. There was nothing great about it. It was sin riddled and sin filled. And if you keep your mind full of that, you, the Bible says, as a man thinks, so is he. You'll start thinking that was the good times. The good times aren't pre-Jesus. The good times start when Jesus comes into your life. The good times begin. And if you keep your, if you're mindful, if you keep your mind full, you will have the opportunity to return. The ones that I see that don't go back drop their nets. I remember several times in my life, I, I've never had a time where I didn't know Jesus because of the family I'm from. But I've committed my life to him several times. But I remember one of the most prominent times. I remember I I was on the floor. Shaking. Quaking. Crying. Saying, God, you're either going to have to kill me or use me. Because this tension is too much. I'm laying everything down. I'm not taking anything with me. All my money. All my time all my effort, all my energy. I don't work for that person anymore. They're still my boss on paper, but I do everything as unto the Lord. I work for you, King Jesus. I'm giving you all of it now. That's the shift that takes place. But if you stay mindful of your old life, if you're walk, it's like dragging the net around. Yeah, you, you know the guy. Yep, tell you what. 1927. In the sugar molasses bowl, praise the Lord. They gave me that ball and I ran 472 yards and scored 62 touchdowns. And whoo-wee, them are the days. I'm all like, cool. 
Why are we so mindful of our words when God said, I am? Why are we so mindful of our words when God said, now faith is? It's persuaded that you're on a Sunday morning. You're watching your computer or your phone on a Sunday morning. I'm I'm convinced you're persuaded that God's word is right. But there has to be an embrace of God's word. And then it's got to start coming out of your mouth. Because when it starts coming out of your mouth, now all of a sudden everything changes. Because the people around you have access to the beautiful thing that's actually on the inside of you. There's a confession required in this thing. God's not calling things into existence anymore. He's calling you into a position and expecting you to call things into existence. Persuaded. Embraced. Confessed. And then I'm not looking back anymore. Oh, I'll tell people that God delivered me. I'll tell people what God delivered me from. But I'm not going to be full in my mind of what I was, I'm going to fill my mind with the water of the washing of the word of the living God so that in the right moment when God says he, God decides he wants to use me, out of my belly will flow that beautiful living water that was put in earlier. Not mindful of what we were. What were we? One of the greatest poets wrote some of the greatest lyrics on the planet. They say it happened on a slave ship. And what he thought he was was a wretch. But now free. What he thought he was was less than, but God says you're more than a conqueror. When we fill our minds with the old life, we're missing the new life. And if you'll just open your mouth, if you'll just start to confess, if you'll stop being mindful, who cares what you left behind? It's called seed. Whatever you leave behind, God's going to bless it back to you. But you'll never grab your future or your destiny if you have a vice grip on your past. I'll tell you one more story before we close. I was in Branson, Missouri a few weeks ago on a vacation or a little mini vacation. I'll be honest with you. We didn't know it was hot up there or I wouldn't have gone. They told me the Ozark Mountains. I thought, well, praise the Lord, the mountains. We got up there. It was, I don't know if it was just as hot, but it was pretty doggone hot. The night before we left town, we needed to gas up the Yukon, you know, suburban vehicle. And we're we're going, and all of a sudden, I had this desire to gas up with some shell gasoline. Who in here has ever just decided they want shell gasoline? I didn't think so. It was very weird. I don't know. But I tell Crystal, I say, hey, baby, I want to fill up with Shell gasoline. She said, okay. The reason she said okay is because she knows I'm nuts. Come on, somebody. I said, I, I want to fill up with some Shell gasoline. So she pulls it up on her phone. It's six miles away. There's gas stations everywhere. But the Shell gas station is six miles away. It's six miles in the Ozark Mountains is not six minutes. There's not a straight road in that part of Missouri. They wrap around the mountains. They turn around the mountains. It's crazy. I said, well, let's go find the shell gasoline. She goes, why do you want shell? I said, I don't know. I just want some shell gas in this car. She said, okay. We're driving along. I said, you know what? That's kind of silly. I'm, I think we'll just gas up the next gas station we see. I pull in. I pull up right next to the pump. And I said, ah, I want some shell gasoline. I don't know. Let's just go a little further. It was fine. It's okay. So we pull up to the gas station, shell gas station. And, it, and it's like, it's, it's an interesting place. But I pull up, and, and I go to gas up the car. And I don't know about if you guys have ever had like a Suburban. We got this uh, Denali Suburban. And, and when you start to fill it up with gas, like it takes a lot of it. You know what I'm talking about? And I went to turn the pump on so it would automatically pump. And it's like, click. I'm like, oh, no. 
whoo, get behind me, Satan. And I go squeeze again, click. I'm like, oh, Jesus, take the wheel. And I go around and click. And I realize, hey, I'm going to have to nurse this thing full of gas for about 27 gallons. You know what I'm talking about? And I'm sitting there, I'm like, oh, my gosh, I can squeeze it about halfway. It's taking three or four times the amount of time. I'm like, what's going on here? Finally, I get it full of gas, and I'm like, okay, put the nozzle up, and I need to go and get a case of waters because we're going to be on the road the next morning. want to take a case of waters with us. So I go inside the gas station. As soon as I go inside the gas station, I realize that every second that I'm in there, secondhand smoke is just absolutely ransacking my body. When I walk in, I realize it's a smoke shop and a liquor store and a casino. Come on, somebody. Right next to the register, there's somebody sitting there playing a slot machine. And I'm like, Crystal, come on, baby, we got to go. <laughs> I didn't say Crystal who. Come on, somebody. Anyway, I'm like, all right. I look around. I say, hey, do you guys have any bottles of water, cases of bottles of water? And they said, oh, yeah, right down there. And I look, and there's a case of bottle, case of bottled water covered in dust and God knows what else. And I thought, that's probably going to smell like the inside of an ashtray tastes. So I'm just going to leave it here, and we'll stop somewhere else on the way home. And I go, and I hit the door. And you know how those doors are at gas stations? A lot of times those older ones, they got a bell on them. So it's like, jingle, jingle. You know what I'm talking about? And, and I thought, and I hit it, and it's like, jingle. I'm like, oh, an angel got its wings. No, I'm just kidding. But I hit the thing, and the door opens, and all of a sudden, the Lord speaks to me and says, would you tell her I love her? And I turn around and look, and it's about a 19-year-old young lady working at the counter of this casino slash liquor store slash smoke shop. Jake, you would love this place. <laughs> and I think, I should tell her. And then I look out, and at the gas pump behind me, there's a guy with a boat. He's waiting on us to move. So I'm like, I tell you what, I'm going to go in my head. I said, I'm going to go move the truck, and then I'll come back in and tell her. So I move the truck out of the way. I tell the kids, I say, hey, you guys got some uh, evangelism cards? They're like, yeah. And my 14-year-old my daughter, she never leaves the house without them because she never knows we're going to kick her out of the truck and say, go win that person to the Lord because we're raising them up. Come on, somebody. Personal evangelism is a high priority in our household. So I say, anybody got an anybody got a evangelism card? And my kids start tearing the car in half because they want to be the one that hands it to me. And they're like, I got one. And Haley's like, pulls in her purse. She's like, here you go, Dad. I reach back and I grab the card, get out of the car. I said, I'll be right back. Chris says, okay. I walk back in and the girl looks and kind of surprised because she realized I just walked out. You know, there's not many people coming in. Matter of fact, only person in the store when I first went in there was me, the 19-year-old girl, and the guy at the slot machine. And so I walk up and I said, hey, I know I just walked out of here, but I really feel like the Lord wants you to know today that he absolutely loves you and he's crazy about you. And all of a sudden, it's like everything else disappeared. And she began to say, she began to say, hey, uh, thanks for saying that. That's nice of you. I said, no, no, can I tell you something else? Because I knew she was, she was thinking this was, a, this was a surface level conversation. But we were fixing to go about four or five layers deep. I said, I said, the Lord wants you to know how much he loves you. And all of a sudden, I heard that bell behind me, jingle, jangle. And I was like, well, here comes somebody behind me. Guess they're going to hear it too. Guy standing behind me in line. I said, not only does the Lord love you, I said, did the last three years of your life look like this? And I gave her two or three events, very specific. Doesn't always happen for me like that. That's how it happened that day. I said, I said, I said, did that happen over the last two or three years of your life? She said, yes, it did. Oh, my gosh. I said, well, God doesn't just want you to know that. Because it's nothing for him to tell you what he knows, right? What he wants you to know is what the next two or three years of your life are going to look like. And I gave her this beautiful news of some of the things that God was doing. And now all of a sudden, her emotions start to run high. And I'm kind of wondering, you know, where exactly she stands. Because when you say God in this day and age, it could mean anything. So I said to her, I said, you know, I said, everything I'm telling you is true. I said, but, but really... This all comes down to where you stand with Jesus. 
I said, do you know Jesus? And she answered me in one of the most beautiful ways I've ever heard it put. She said, you know, I used to be with him, and I've walked away. I said, really? She said, but something happened when you walked back in that door. When you began to say that, I was reminded, see, I've been thinking about going back to him. And I've been wondering, should I give Jesus another try? Should I not give Jesus another try? And when you came in here and started talking to me, I made my decision. I'm coming back to Jesus. And the guy over there, he's sitting there playing the slot machine. He goes, jackpot. And I'm like, wait a minute. People, the line's starting to form behind me now. There's two people behind me. I said, well, look. I said, I'm leaving, okay? I said, I'm actually leaving this whole state. It's too hot up here for me. I'm going back to Texas. I said, but here's a card. So you can watch our services online. I hope you're watching today. You can watch our services online. I said, but do you know a good church? I said, I can maybe help you find a good church here. She goes, oh, no, 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 no. I know a great church, and I'm going to go back to it. I said, I'm so thrilled. God bless you. Have a nice day. I walked back out. And I got in the car and I started telling the kids, I'm like, okay, here's what happened. Because I like to tell the kids, because if you hear that kind of a story and nobody stops to tell you about the, all the insecure thoughts they had when they were walking back in, you'll think they are a superhero. I'm not a superhero. I'm a Christian. When I was walking back in, every thought you could imagine was coming at me. You've already been in there. Don't go back in there. They're going to think you're crazy. What's the guy at the slot machine going to say? This girl doesn't want to listen to you. You saw the place. It's a casino slash liquor store slash smoke stop. Don't, don't be going in there. Stop it, stop it, stop it, stop it, stop it. And I'm walking back in and I pause and I said, God, I said, I think this was you that told me to go in there. But even if I'm not sure, if I'm going to fall, I want to fall on my face, not on my back. I'm going to fall trying to do what you say. And if you can use anything, you can use me right now. And I push the door open and all of a sudden, words just filled my mouth because things shift when you choose to be persuaded you fully embrace this kingdom and then you're willing to confess or use your mouth for the kingdom and you find out some stuff I tell the kids about it I tell them all about it this happened that happened but then later I'm praying And I thought, oh, thank you, God. That was so cool how you put in my spirit shell gasoline. Pretty unusual. That was so neat. And then, like I was in a helicopter, I just felt like I was in a helicopter looking at the earth and just elevating, 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 going higher, 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 climbing, climbing, climbing. I just started to get a bigger perspective, bigger perspective, bigger perspective. And all of a sudden, I started thinking... Wait a minute. It's cool that you sent me to a Shell gas station, but how did we even decide we wanted to go to Branson? We, we were thinking about going. We were thinking about going to uh, uh, Gulf Shores, Alabama. We were thinking about going to, to to Anna Maria Island in Florida. Check them both out. They're awesome. But all of a sudden, Branson jumped in our spirit. And within an hour, we booked a place. So that's where we're going. And I started saying, I said, wait a minute, God. Your Bible says you give people the desires of their heart. Did you place in us the desire to go to a place called Branson, Missouri, and then inject in us the desire to get some shell gasoline? All because there was a 19-year-old girl sitting in a smoke shop slash liquor store slash casino that had been completely overlooked and completely forgotten. Are you telling me you will still leave the 99 sheep in order to find the one sheep that's out there in the cold? Are you telling me if I'm willing to be persuaded by your word, if I will embrace your word, and I'm willing to confess your word, you will use me in this life for your kingdom? Are you telling me you'll use a wretch like me? I'm talking about a kingdom life. I'm talking about leaving the old stuff. Stop going back to the vomit of your past. Stop acting like it was better than the plans that he has for you. There's nothing you've given up. 
that even remotely compares to the beauty of having one encounter with Jesus. And there's no substitute. No drug, no drink, no girl, no man. There is no substitute for a life of faith. And when you take that stance, everything shifts. Please bow your head and close your eyes. I hope you enjoyed the podcast today. If you did, there are a couple of things that I'd love for you to do. Number one, subscribe to our show. That way, the most recent episodes will always be in your feed waiting for you, ready when you are. And secondly, follow us on social media. That is the best way to stay up to date on everything happening at New Heights. We look forward to you joining us next time on the New Heights podcast. And if you are ever in the Bryan College Station area, we invite you to come out to New Heights Church for a live service. I promise we'll make you feel right at home.